Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 121, and I am really excited to have Rochelle Turner, the head women's basketball coach at Murray State. It's Murray State University, or is it college, coach? University. Murray State University. The pride of the OVC. They don't throw toilet paper on the floors anymore, uh, but it is still the Ohio Valley Conference, one of the hidden gems in college basketball. So we're really excited to have Coach Turner on the on the podcast here this week. But before we talk to Coach, we of course want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha, Nebraska. Coaches, you can check out their practice at cosackchiro.com. That's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or to make an appointment, give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast, so you're on iTunes. Be sure to download, rate, review, give us five stars so that we can get the word out to gain momentum in the ratings so that we can help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. And of course, check out a pen and a napkin.com, our website. We got a lot of great stuff. I've been updating that a few things every week. And so check out those resources on the website there. Coach Turner, how are you doing on this fine Friday afternoon? Doing well. Just uh, trying to uh, make the transition from the season ending to uh, end of the year meetings to getting ready to start back uh, with our postseason plans. So just kind of a transition time. Just a time for a deep breath a little bit. Absolutely, you better catch them when you can. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you'll you'll be uh, you'll start re- uh, recruiting here pretty soon for you know down the line the next year, two years, three years. Uh, so uh, the it's it's a it's a thirteenth month thirteen month a gig uh, here. So uh, you know appreciate you coming on here today and finding time to uh, to talk to our listeners. So. Um, coach, if you could, uh, just for the folks that don't know a whole lot about you, uh, just tell us a little bit about your background, uh, how you ended up at Murray State, and and uh, you know your just your your basketball journey. I was, you know, started out uh, going back uh, to uh, many years ago. Uh, I played at Murray State. I actually played basketball and golf back then. You could do both. Now there's no way you could pull that off. And uh, right after uh, high school, or right after college, I I got a high opportunity to be a high school coach at age 23. Mm -hmm. I had been the assistant there my last year of college and helped out, and and the job opened. And uh, they took a chance on a 23-year-old, bright-eyed, excitable, uh, you know, go-getter, but had no clue, you know, Mm -hmm. how to to run a program or or how to manage – uh, young people or anything like that so they they took a chance on me and uh, just an amazing journey 21 years there mm-hmm. uh the the number of of, of uh, student athletes that you know got to come across uh and just the number of students in my everyday class of teaching just a blessing uh and those were some of the best days of my life professionally mm-hmm. and uh we had uh, we had won uh the class a state championship and had gone back to back final fours in the overall Kentucky's not class, so you play against everybody. And our school had about 500 students, so mm-hmm. we uh, we had made a great run, but uh, with a lot of great players over the years. Not just those those last few years, but just all in all, just had a, an amazing amount of talent come through our small school. Mm-hmm. And uh, got a phone call. Uh, that asked about my interest uh, in coaching at Murray State. And I'll be honest with you, college <laughs> coaching wasn't anything that I had really thought about. Uh-huh. Uh, it wasn't something that I had pursued. I loved uh, where I was. I loved my job, loved the people I worked with. And we had everybody coming back the next season on a state championship team. So we were pretty sure we were going to repeat. Uh-huh. And so looking forward to that. And uh and then uh, after about the second phone call, I agreed to, to have a conversation. And uh, truth be told, just lots of prayer uh, went into it. And uh, I just, all in all, all, although I knew it was going to be different and I knew it was going to be a unique challenge, uh, my, my family and I didn't have to didn't even have to change houses uh, to do the job because uh, 
I have uh, a 17 year old, a 12 year old, uh, both boys that uh, that love their community, love their schools. My husband's a local baseball coach at, at the high school that one of my sons plays. So I didn't have to uproot the family to do it, but still it was a big step that I wasn't sure I was ready for. But ultimately I felt like God said, you need to do this. You need, you need to uh, step out of your comfort zone. And this is where I felt like, felt like that I was led. So that happened, and uh, here we are at the end of my fifth season. Yeah, I, I read that, I think, in your in your opening press conference, that you're the probably the only coach ever that's gone from high school to a college job and never had to, to move out of their house or something like that. That was, that was a clever quote, Coach. So um, is there a... Is there anything you miss about being in the in the high school situation? You know, a lot of people think that the the college, uh, you know, that's kind of the dream gig, and all you're doing is basketball. And I mean, basketball related stuff. Uh, I'm sure you have other duties other than coaching the team within the athletic department. But uh, is there any stuff that you miss from from your high school job? Well, you know, I, I miss the uh, the students uh, mm-hmm. that I had in class. I I, I loved it. I, I loved every second of of being in there and developing those relationships. Uh, that was uh, an integral part of uh, me enjoying in my job so much. And uh, and just the people that I worked with and the administration that I worked under uh, just, just uh, made and created such a wonderful environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just really hard to leave. I mean, that was home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the thing that I would also get back if I was still a teacher and a coach at the high school level is time because people ask me all the time, what is the biggest difference between high school and by, and college? And I say time. Mm-hmm. Uh, college basketball is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job. It never stops. Mm-hmm. And uh, – and that and that's the biggest difference. But uh, but just just miss the relationships and and the opportunity to spend time with people that had basically helped me uh, grow into the person that I am over 21 years of working with them. So uh, you know, just those relationships is what I miss the most. Mm-hmm. So you step into a, a head coaching position at a Division One school in a very respectable conference. Uh, Straight from the high school game, you'd never never had any experience coaching at the collegiate level. So I got a two part question here for you, Coach. Uh, what was the two or three things that were you know you felt like you were really prepared for? Like it, it wasn't much of an adjustment, but what were also maybe two or three things that really caught you off guard? And and boy, it was it was a pretty steep climb. It was a pretty steep adjustment for you to. Uh, get get part get make that part of your uh job description in your daily life so uh whichever one you want to start with go ahead well i think the the thing that really wasn't a major adjustment is i do believe basketball is basketball mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't matter what level it's being played on there are certain things that you have to focus on to be successful on both sides of the ball and, and I think that that's something that didn't really change a whole lot. Now, you know, the level of your players and uh, being able to choose your players versus having who comes through whichever class, you know, in high school is a lot different. But uh, but I still believe that the fundamental principles of making a winning team are still what they are, regardless of level. Mm-hmm. Uh and in the in the relationship piece, I think that that's what drove our success at the high school level, and, and we knew that that's what would drive our success at uh, at the college level. So those are two pieces that I feel like remain the same. But in turn, that was very difficult at first. You're taking over a program, and you have a roster full of players that did not come to Murray State to play for you, and you did not recruit them to come play for you. Mm-hmm. So um, that's difficult. And the biggest hurdle that we had early on was the culture. Mm-hmm. And we knew that until we could change it and until we could put our stamp on how this program was going to be ran and what it stood for and the priorities of the things that were important to our staff had to be important to our players. And we felt like if we could ever get that turned around, that that would be our first step. And then it also, you know, was a situation of coming in where there hadn't been a whole lot of success in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to postseason for the first time this year since 2009. And so the, the trying to make the players that were currently in the program and the players that we were going to recruit 
to the program realize we can't do not judge this program from where it's been the last few years, judge it for where we're going and mm-hmm. give us a chance, you know, give us a chance to turn this around because, you know, there are championships at 2008, 2009, those teams won championships. And so it's doable and, and there's a lot of good things that can happen, but you know, things had to turn around. So the culture change uh, and the belief in a program and the system were probably two of the most challenging. Um. You know, that kind of brings me to my next question. You kind of answered it already to a degree, but if you can maybe be, you know, I I know you don't want to, you know, throw anybody under the bus or anything like that, Uh, but you're saying culture change. What were some of the things within that culture that you identified? Was it uh, just being on time, how we treat people, how hard we work in in practice, uh, how, you know, study halls, uh, just that type of thing. Because we have a lot of coaches that listen to this. We've got coaches that are taking over programs that have struggled and, and you know, what to emphasize, what are the standards that we emphasize. So when you, when you walked into the situation, you know, what were some specific things that you said, these are my non-negotiables, these are the, these are the standards that you're going to be held to, and I don't care how good you are, how bad you are, this is what we're going to do as a Murray State racer here under my watch well ultimately we over me uh you know taking the selfishness out of a program and putting in selflessness and and understanding that not one person was good enough to carry the program and and it was going to take everybody it was going to take a a high number of people that were bought in to changing things and uh, within that, it was, our, you know, it was basically our overall culture statement. And that's what we focus on every single day. We ask our players from from day one to now, is, are the decisions that you're making on and off the court, are they are they helping we or are they helping me? Uh, you know, and, it, and if the answer is that they're only doing these things or making these decisions to better themselves, then they're not a part of what we're trying to grow. And then within that, we use the uh, acronym CHAMPS, and of course that's character, hard work, accountability, mental toughness, positive attitude, and selflessness. But the thing that I feel like that my staff does a really good job is we don't just put that on a wall and expect everybody to understand what that means or what we, what we expect from those standards. We teach those standards every single day. Every single week we focus in on one of those, and we, and we try to make sure that our players' definition of character is the same as ours. And we have the same definitions within our program so that everybody understands that we're on the same page because maybe what those words mean to you, they don't mean to me. Or they, you know, and you bring in people in from all different cultures, all different backgrounds. So you want them to understand that this, these are the Murray State women's basketball definitions to what matters and what we are governed by. And, you know, as an example is we don't have rules on our basketball team because rules are made to be broken. We have expectations because anything and everything that can come up falls under those expectations. And so if you're living up to those expectations, we're good. If you're falling below those expectations, then that's when we need to reevaluate and figure out how to get you back on that same path. What a uh, couple of follow? What were those? What the what the acronym stand for again, Coach? Character, hard work, and then I lost it. Accountability. After that. Okay. Mental toughness, positive attitude, and selflessness. Okay. And it spells out champs, which ultimately is what we all want to be. But we figure that we have to take care of those things and we have to live that process in order for the things to work on the court as well as off. Mm -hmm. We we have kind of the same thing in our program. We call it attack, uh, appreciate, uh, toughness, togetherness. Appreciate toughness together. We want to play aggressive. We want to compete, and we want to play with knowledge. Uh, so it's kind of that same same type of of concept, and and that's something that we hammer into to our kids as well. And it's it's kind of I don't know about you, Coach. Uh, it, it's kind of your north star, isn't it? It is, and it has to be. I think if you you know, especially young people, uh, they have to be given a direction. You know, what, what are, what do you want from me? Uh, they, they are very good at understanding when you communicate with them 
and you tell them this is the expectation, this is what we want. It's why they like to see the practice schedule before practice. You know, if, if they, they're that generation that they want to see what they're up against and it makes them feel like they can accomplish it and they make makes them feel like they can get through it. Uh, our coaches never posted the practice schedule back in the day. You yep. just did what you were told when you were told, and when you got out, you got out. There was no time uh, listed on a practice schedule. But uh, but I think that's just the difference in the generation and the difference in uh, what what they need about the instant. They, they need not only the instant gratification, but they need that information. You know, they can get on their phones and get information. You know, with the snap of a finger. So they they want that in their coaching. They want that in their basketball. Uh, in their schoolwork and all those things. So it, it's just part of, you know, if you hold your expectations high, they'll meet them. You don't lower your expectations, you raise them because they're capable and they will meet them. And the expectations of our culture are non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. That, that is something that we will not give in to at all. Yep, absolutely. And, and that's the way you have to do it, especially when you're Trying to build something back up, kind of not not from scratch, but you're you're rebuilding that culture and and putting it in in the way that you deem it necessary. So, a pen and a napkin university university is offering you, our listeners, a great opportunity to learn more about coaching above and beyond the a pen and a napkin universe. In our video series detailing personal growth and development, you can purchase videos on topics like interviewing for a job, basketball analytics, and fundraising and social media. Go to a pen and a napkin dot com and follow the links to order. Videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the bundle for $50. That's less than $8 a video. We also have our defensive series available. Those videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the three-video bundle for $25. Check out the Appendant and Napkin University Video Library. Coach, you you know, you're coming into a situation, you're taking over this program, and you also have to put together a, a quality staff. What for you, what are the things that you're looking for in quality assistant coaches that are going to uh, help your program accomplish the goals that you want it to accomplish? Well, you know, again, you hear this word come out of my mouth a lot, but I am a firm believer and I will go toe to toe with anyone that does not believe that relationships are the number one key to building a successful program. So, you know, the first thing you look for in a staff is uh, servant leaders, you know, uh, people that understand that the players are not here to serve you. You are here to serve them. That is our job. That is our responsibility. These parents and grandparents are handing these young people off to us and with the expectation that we are going to return them even better than they than they left them. And uh, so that's the first thing I look for in a staff member. You know, obviously you want uh, knowledgeable basketball minds uh, because, you you know, as a as a head coach, I don't know everything and I need help and adjustments are are great during games and and I, I'm, I'm not afraid to have great people around me. I try to find people that are better than me uh, to be around me to help me. Uh, I'm just not the type that uh, feels like that I know it all or that I'm the only one that can make a decision or can make a play call or, or anything like that. So I'm always trying to build a staff that, that's going to make me better. Mm-hmm. And so, the, the, you know, those two things are really important. And then obviously people that can, you know, identify players and, and get them to campus. I mean, because recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. Mm-hmm. You, uh, I love that quote um, that you're, you know, a big responsibility is to make these kids and, and return them to their parents and grandparents better than what they were four or five years before that. I, that's, that, I've never thought of it that way, but that is that is the absolute 100% truth. And, and it's what you try to do as a high school coach as well. Uh, but I, I love that quote. Uh, and, and talking about your players, and again, kind of doing some research for today, uh, I read a story from a few weeks ago, and you had three of your former high school kids that played for you at Murray. Um, and there were, you know, people saying, you know, do those kids deserve to go to Murray and, and play at the Division One level? And, and obviously kids through the course of their career uh, showed that they more than belonged uh, at the level that you guys play at. But I was, I was so impressed with the way that you came out and, and spoke your mind and, and defended your players in public. How important is it for us to, as coaches, to have our players back and to have our players know that we have their back when it comes to building those relationships? Well, I, I think that's the number one thing, uh, that they have to know that you'll go to war for them. You know, if they're doing the right thing, 
and uh, and they're they're holding up their standard of expectations for our culture that that no matter what you're going to go to bat for them and and I I'm I'm a mom uh, at uh, at home obviously I have my own children but uh, sometimes I'm a mom at work too uh, because sometimes you wear two different hats and so the coaching uh, side of you may be a little bit different than the mama side of you and uh, I think at that moment during that time with that opportunity a lot of that was. Uh, was the mom and me coming out because you can pretty much say anything about the mama bear, but don't talk about the cubs, you know, and, uh, and, and don't, and, and, you know, don't try to take away what they have meant to this program or the accomplishments that they individually and collectively have done. I mean, they have put us in an outstanding position, uh, to be successful. Like I said, led us to back to, uh, uh our first postseason appearance since 2009 for the program. So, uh, uh, I think there was just a lot of it, and uh, it had been uh, four years, you know. But I, moms don't forget. Moms don't forget <laughs> when uh, when their when their babies are uh, are uh, questioned, and uh, you know, and, and and like I said, nobody nobody wants to be told the only reason you're playing there is because your high school coach coaches there. Well, I think that was a lot of fuel to the fire for those kids to really show up and prove people wrong and. Uh, just happened to be a great question at the end of the season that came out and uh, just gave me an opportunity to defend them. But uh, yep. that's always going to be the case. Yep. I, I'm all, I've always got their backs. Yeah, I was I was going to ask. You know, did did that did those perceptions over the last few years give those uh, three young women uh, a, a bit of a chip on their shoulder every time they stepped out on the floor for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we our motto was prove them wrong. Uh, you know, and it wasn't just them. I mean. You know, uh, we have a, a lot of kids within, uh, you know, three or four hours, you know, what I would consider local kids on our uh, on our team. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people, you know, not, maybe not as harsh as they were about the ones right here in town that I coach. But but there is, uh, you know, just always talk. Well, the only reason you're getting this opportunity is this, that or the other. So, you know, we just build our whole uh, persona around proving people wrong and uh we're going to work and we're, and we're going to do everything we can to make you eat those words. Mm-hmm. And so absolutely uh, a big reason, uh, I believe that, uh, they, they proved the people wrong. They work so hard for it. So mm-hmm. anytime you give, give young people motivation, uh, that that's always a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that you, uh, had some, uh, you know, unfortunate publicity about was, uh, a, a game, a I think it was two or three years ago, uh, you were playing Moorhead State, and uh, long story short, uh, you were asked to leave the game early, and your player was assessed a technical foul for ridiculous reasons. And I watched the clip three or four times today, coaches, I was preparing for this, and, and uh, I know you're going to handle it the right way, but it was, it was pretty ridiculous. And, and I could say that because I'm not you, so, uh, but... You know, there's there's a lot of stuff that we see, um, and that that the women's game has grown so much. I mean, tonight uh, when we get you know tonight we're gonna have two I think terrific final four games, and we're gonna have a terrific final game on Sunday night. Uh, the, the women's NIT championship is coming up this uh, tomorrow. Uh, my son is a manager at South Dakota State with the women's team, and they're playing in the title game against I think against Seton Hall tomorrow. Um, but there's still a long ways to go in the equity of the game, uh, from things like just players being allowed to show emotion and get excited and what's, what's okay in the guy's game is not okay in the women's game sometimes. Uh, one of my pet peeves, ball fakes and, and travels, you know, uh, you know, women get called for that ball fake and they, they call the travel all the time. Uh, the physicality of the game, uh, the, the facilities last year in NCAA, the NCAA tournament, I think the gal from Oregon kind of called the NCAA out on, was was absolutely embarrassing. They finally, you know, it was it had to be a big deal this year that the NCAA officials got paid as much for the women's tournament games as the men's tournament games. Just stuff like that along the way. And you don't want to look backwards and, and complain about where things were because, you know, 
10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, things are much better now than they were then, but it seems like there's still a long ways to go. Uh, if there's things that you would like to continue to push for in the equity of the game for the, for the women, uh, what would be some of the things that would be at the top of your list? Well, and, and going back to the situation that you referred to, uh, it kind of goes along with our culture. Part of our culture, if you ask anybody that has played from us from the time I arrived on campus, part of our culture is you're going to appreciate the passer. Mm-hmm. You're going to pr- appreciate the screener. You're going to appreciate whoever sets you up to get those points. And so that's a culture thing. That's a non-negotiable for mm-hmm. us. I mean, we have had more film sessions over, hey, did you forget something after you made that shot? Because <laughs> it is ingrained in our players' heads that if our guards come down and throw it to you and you make a shot, you point to them. Mm-hmm. If, if your teammate sets a good screen that leads to a shot, you may be pointing at the screener and the passer. Mm-hmm. And so those are things that are non-negotiables in our program. And anybody that has watched us play or had watched us play or had prepped for a game that they were going to call of us had to see that. Because, yeah. it, like I said, it is a non-negotiable. Uh-huh. So it happens every time there's a basket unless somebody – they don't point to themselves if they take it off the drip, you know. But you have to acknowledge whoever helped you score that point. Uh-huh. And so in that instance, when that happened, you know, first of all, Lex, which got the technical called on her, she is one of the kids that played for me in high school. I know her like the back of my hand. She would never say anything. She would never taunt. She would never try to make anyone else look bad. That's part of our non-negotiables, too. We do not show anybody else up. We can celebrate our success, but we do not show anybody else up. That's part of it. And so when she received the technical for pointing at her point guard for the pass, and you can actually see the point guard pointing back at her because it gets to now where they're pointing at each other. And as technical was assessed for that, I mean, I lost it. I mean, I deserved the first one. I mean, I lost it. I I lost it. And uh, because I was, again, mama bear (laughs) picking up for, for one of her one of her players because she didn't do anything wrong and she didn't understand. Well, I'll say this coach, if that's you losing it, then, then you don't lose it very much because you handled it a heck of a lot better than most people would have. Uh, but, uh, so, but yeah, I, I know, I know what you're saying. And I saw, like I said, I saw the clip, but, uh, that says a lot about you, uh, as a coach, if if that's your definite, that's just me observing you as a coach there. So I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt the story, but I did want to say that as well. So, yeah, I appreciate that a lot. And then the next, and then, and then, make a long story short the next thing i know they tell me i have to leave and i was arguing with them about the rule i was like no the player got a technical and i got a technical and they're like no you got two technicals i never even knew the second one happened uh-huh. so i i still to this day am not 100 percent sure when the second technical was given but that's neither here nor there uh-huh. but again it just just goes to show you how hard i'm willing to fight for our culture mm-hmm and if I have to get thrown out of a game to make a statement for everyone to understand that that is something that my players are going to do, that's something they're expected to do, then so be it. I mean, I hated it. I hated it for our team. I hated sure. it for our university. Uh-huh. Here I am just like a second or third year coach, never been thrown out of a game in my life, and I'm walking to the locker room. So, you know, as far as the embarrassment of it and all that, that was awful, but I think it let my players know right then and there, coach has got my back if I do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's something that, that we've used to, to make them understand that. But as far as growing the women's game, it still has a long way to go. I, I mean, it is amazing, though, how far women's basketball has come. I mean, they'll they'll play uh, tonight, sold-out arenas and, and just the fan bases and stuff. It's just so exciting. I, and I just can't wait mm-hmm. uh, to watch it, just to experience it. And uh, my son uh, – plays baseball and I have to miss a ton of his stuff so going to final four is not really an option for me because that's something I would choose to do and have to miss his games when I have responsibilities that cause me to so as a mom I make those choices so being there in the in the moment would be awesome but I'll be enjoying it um at some point when I get a chance to watch it but I I just think that there's a lot of great coaches out there that are really pushing Mm -hmm. for equity and I think that although we're not as much on a bigger stage, you know, at the level that I that I coach at, we can really, really, 
you know, look up to, to the power five coaches and the four coaches alone in, in the final four and just say, thank you. You know, mm-hmm. thank you for continuing to grow the game. And thank you for uh, speaking for those of us that don't have as big a voice as they do. And, uh, and so I, you know, as, as a, as a female and as a former player and, uh, you know, uh, trying to basically represent our, the women on our basketball team, you know, anytime anybody will, you know, take a punch or not literally, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, put, put it, put it out there that this is what our women deserve. Yeah. And I have two sons, so I'm not pro woman. you know, I mean, I want my, my sons to have great opportunities and, and, and those type of things. But I also have to be an advocate for women's basketball and for the young women on my team. So uh, I, I would like, like I said, just those people that have a voice, those people that can get in people's ears that will listen, they just got to continue to fight the good fight. Yep. Coaches, mark your calendars for Saturday, April the 9th for the second annual Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic at Fort Calhoun High School in Fort Calhoun, Nebraska, just 15 minutes north of downtown Omaha. We have a great day lined up for you and your coaching staff. From large group speakers to classroom sessions to discussion tables, the Pen and a Napkin Coaches Clinic promises to make you a better coach. Clinic rates are $40 for one coach, $75 for two coaches, $100 for three coaches, and $30 a piece for a coaching staff of four or more. For more details, check out Add a pen and a napkin on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. It is now time for our John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, Coach, we take this from Wooden's famous book, uh, Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations. And so are you ready for today's John Wooden's quote of the day? I'm ready. All right. So from page 82 of Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations, here's the quote. The more successful you are, the higher the expectations become, the more suspicious people are of you, and the more criticism you receive. That's why you focus on the journey rather than the destination. I 1,000% agree with that. I I think, uh, and I won't be able to tell you exactly who said this, but I've heard this several times, is uh, don't take criticism from people you wouldn't ask their opinion or their advice (laughs) that's awesome and i I think that that's sometimes where you have to focus in because you know there's always going to be naysayers there are always going to be people that that doubt you and doubt the way you go about it Mm -hmm. but i think the ultimate destination is through the process you cannot get anywhere in life or in basketball unless you go through the process and you pay your dues so I, I think that quote says it all, but I think sometimes we get caught up in what everybody else thinks and, and their criticism of our process or how they would do things differently. And ultimately, you have to decide where you're trying to be, and then you have to understand that there's going to be peaks and valleys along that way. Yeah, I was listening to a, a podcast, um, and, and uh, one of the coaches said uh, – you know, it's kind of a joke, and 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 I remember this saying this to our boys' coach at, at one time uh, at my old job. Uh, the day or two after the banquet, uh, that's when the the email box tends to light up quite a bit uh, because you know parents feel like, well, now I can really say what I want to say because the banquet is over, or the critics, you know, can say certain things, and uh, you know, sure enough. Um, you know that that happens from time to time, but at the same time, you you kind of take a look at it and you you deal with it with a with a grain of salt. And and like you said, you know, if it's not somebody I would ask their opinion of normally, why would I care about their criticism? And I, I love I love that 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 sage piece of advice there, Coach. It sounds like you've you've been in that uh, situation uh, a time or two before. I think everybody has. You uh-huh. know, you I'm sure they're like I said. You're I'm watching the. The women's national championship game last night and people are questioning why this why that and i'm like man you've never been in those shoes <laughs> you know and, and that's what happens a lot of times is a lot of times you know if we got a lot of armchair coaches mm-hmm. uh you know just like i probably feel like i could be a principal or something and do things <laughs> better you know yep. and, and ultimately until you've actually been in those shoes and having to make those decisions and and they don't think it's it's way more than one thing that goes into every thought and every process along the way. So I think sometimes we tend to think we know more than we do. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we just won't let well enough alone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... Uh, you know, Coach Wooden, again, folks, if you haven't purchased Coach Wooden's A Lifetime of Observations, you need to get on the Amazon machine and you need to make sure that you order that because that is a, a terrific handbook for coaching at any level. So, um, Coach, let's jump into your uh, some of your basketball philosophy at this point. We got four or five things lined up here and, you know, kind of wherever we go, that's where we go. Uh, I-, I wanted to ask you, uh, first and foremost, about your transition defense philosophy. And at this point, I'm just going to kind of shut up and and, and let you go. Uh, and if I feel the need to interject a question or something, I, I will, will do so. But tell us about what you guys do at Murray State, your transition defensive philosophy, and, and what you do to protect your, your, your basket and, and, and how you get things lined up after the change of possession. Well, that's the first step in your defense is your transition defense. And so we talk about first three steps. Our first three steps in recovering have to be quick, have to be hard, have to be with the purpose. You got to get back. Uh, In the communication standpoint, we are pointing, we are talking, who has who, who's matchup. When there is a – if there's like a five on four, and for some reason, you know, we have – uh, they have numbers against us. We talk about loading to the basketball. And, and I think so many people get caught up in that's my man, that's my man. You have no one specific in transition. In mm-hmm. transition, they're all yours. The responsibilities change. You got to stop the ball. You may have to guard the post for a little bit. But we drill that so much. It's something that we do on an everyday basis. And we put our players under pressure by five on four you know, five on three, uh, whatever it may be, two on one, all different kinds of scenarios that may go into transition defense. I think it's critical that you drill that. Mm-hmm. We teach – I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No. I was going to say we teach free doubles as well in transition. For instance, if, you're, if your person's the one uh, kind of being last down the floor, maybe they got the rebound, they're trailing. Well, that opportunity arises for you to load the floor, maybe get a free double on the ball handler. And that doesn't mean a double trap. It just means covering the gap in which that ball handler could attack you. So it's all, everybody teaches things differently, Mm -hmm. but I think it's essential. Number one, for anybody coaching at any level, I have found that making sure that your players understand. Number five may be mine in the half court, but they're not mine in transition per se. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when, when the shot goes up and I, and, and I'm guessing it's probably different from team to team, but, but typical, let's say perfect world, you've got the perfect Murray state team that you could ever hope for. What are you teaching as far as when the shot goes up? Is it, is it designated kids back? Are you sending, you know, X amount of kids, uh, regardless, uh, it depends on where you're at on the floor. How do you guys teach? Cause I think that's kind of the. One of the great debates in coaching is how do you, who do you send to the glass? Because you need some offensive rebounding presence, but you don't want to sell out so much that you're giving up layups the other way. So, what, what do you guys teach in that regard? For sure, you want to send your best rebounders to the glass, and in and different teams that I've had, sometimes that's been some of our guards. Mm-hmm. So we will identify that. We normally have that identified with the different lineups that we have. They will understand who's back. Normally. Your guards cover the back, uh, your you know your front line and your back line until uh, that can be a post player can get down there because normally your post players are your especially at our level are your biggest players that you want going to the glass, but those things are identified for us through our lineups. Like we had a guard this past year, it's one of our best rebounders. Well, we're sending her the offensive glass and maybe sending one of our bigger kids back. So I think that goes for us at least by who's on the floor and whose strengths are going to the glass, and whose strengths might be getting back and stopping a break. Mm-hmm. On, on the other end of that, this just kind of popped into my head, what type of uh, lineups or philosophies have given your teams maybe some troubles on the offensive glass where you've, uh, you know, that type of defensive transition, either you, you haven't been able to to attack and transition the way that you like, or you're giving up too many second opportunities on the offensive glass. Well, I, I think the more people send, you know, the harder it is because we like to run. Mm-hmm. So we like to get out. And so sometimes we might even leak, leak out. And so the teams that 
know that we're trying to take advantage of them might turn it on us and, and go send more people to the glass. So we, we, we have more people to block out than we do bodies mm-hmm. uh, and those type of things. And one thing that slows down all transition, especially is when you have teams, they can put pressure on the rebounder as soon as it's rebounded. Mm-hmm. And so it just totally depends on the matchup really for us. We are, I'm not a system type coach and that this is how we play and we only recruit to this system. So we may have some years we've got some bigs that are really good offensive rebounds. We send it in the glass. Mm-hmm. We may have a big that's not a great rebounder. So we may have a guard go and have that big go ahead and get back and be a rim protector. So for us, it's a little bit different philosophy probably than it is for most, but we don't have a specific system that we go by. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, let's talk about uh, some ball handling and, and some passing here. You know, uh, I, I read an analytics book, and it's an undertop part of the game. But the the average player passes the ball two out of every three touches. Yet we really don't teach passing very well. All all you know, all things considered, or, or, or a lot of us don't. And that really caught my eye that how we need to emphasize just passing, passing and catching the ball in practice. Uh, what are some things that you guys do to develop your skill work in that ball handling and fundamental passing? Uh, arena that that'll help you with your valuing of possession it is a very undervalued asset passing is Uh, i think it's something that's overlooked way too much but it's something in our program we put a great deal of emphasis on Uh, any individual workout starts with ball handling and passing Uh, every drill that we do we are talking about passing with the outside hand we're not going to pass across our body if we're going down the right side of the floor we're going to make a right-handed pass left-handed pass, pass, uh, post-entry passes. I mean, those are things we drill over and over and over because they are taken for granted so often. And like you said with your analytics, a person's only going to have the ball in their hand so often in their 20 minutes on the court. Mm-hmm. Some of those are going to be shots, but most of the time they're moving the basketball in some way. Mm-hmm. And anybody that watches good basketball knows that offense comes from good passing. Good ball movement, but ultimately the ball has to be passed or the ball has to be moved to an area of the floor where you're successful scoring. So I think that the ball handling, the passing, all of those things for us are incorporated in every single day and everything we do. We never do a drill where an assistant coach is not reminding our players, you know, just something as simple as which hand to make the pass with. The wraparound passes, the the different angles, the high-low. I mean, we do those on a regular basis to the point that our players roll their eyes about it, and we know we're doing something right. We, we are making them work on it enough that it's like, oh, here we go again. Well, in, in my eyes as a coach, that's a great thing because it's being drilled enough that they understand how important it is. I'm going to seal that one, too. I'm going to steal two of those. Just in that one statement, Coach, I'm stealing two of them. Good offense comes from good passing, and when players roll their eyes, it means you're doing something right. Okay, I'm going to write those down real quick. Um, are, Are good passers born, or can they be created? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I think good pastors sometimes are just become good pastors on their own. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that is because of the way they grew up playing the game, the way they, instead of going out and just shooting all the time, that they are the kids that stood in front of a wall and worked on that wraparound pass, or they saw that behind-the-back pass on TV, and they wanted to work on that. So I think I tend to find with players it's, if you ask them your background, how did you become a good passer? Well, Coach, I would, I'd throw it up against the garage door till my parents made me stop. You know, it wasn't about shooting threes and those type of things. But I do think players can become better passers. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's something that can be drilled and help them because passing is about angles. Passing is about being able to make a decision quickly. It's about understanding who you're passing it to. You know, if you, you know, where your post player's hand is, where you want, are you moving somebody to a spot or are you trying to hit them on the catch, you know, for a, for a cash shot? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, of it to it. And I think it's as much intellectual as it is physical. Mm-hmm. What's, what's one or two of your favorite passing drills that you guys use? We use uh, Argentina passing a lot. Uh, that's, I don't know, if it's hard to explain kind of, but a lot of people use it. It's, 
it's basically you have three across the baseline, uh, three across the sideline, and then three across the middle of the floor, and it's just a pass and move, pass mm-hmm. and move. And it's about catching, but you, but you can't walk. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's rules. And it's also, we also use every drill that we do. Again, if we're going to the right, we pass with our right. If we're going to the left, we pass with our left. Uh, I, I'm old school. Like three men weave. I mean, that's a great drill. Uh, a three man weave, five man weave, three line passing. Uh, you know, something simple that we would maybe do at summer camp. You mentioned summer camps earlier. Mm-hmm. We may do those drills at camp. Those drills are just as good for college players mm-hmm. because it's about catching, receiving, and getting rid of it. Because again, you have no idea how many people have trouble just catching the basketball and especially catching and getting rid of getting rid of it at a high level. So I, I think you have to be fundamentally and sometimes maybe even go back to your roots on some of the fundamental things and, and not think that, like, well, three-man weave, they're too old for that. No, they're not. They're never too old to learn how to catch, pass, and move because mm-hmm. that's part of the game. Well, I, I think I remember one of the stories I heard when, when Steve Kerr took over for the Warriors. They, they like, their whole first practice was just – uh, a bunch of fundamentals and passing and pivoting and stuff like that. And, and, and one of the players said something to him. He didn't kind of say anything. And then finally one of the players said, coach, why are we doing like these fifth grade drills? And he said, because you guys average 18 turnovers a game. <laughs> and, and that's the biggest thing that I see with your guys's failure to get over the top is you don't take good, good enough care of the basketball. And so we're going to do these drills until you, realize how important it is to pivot correctly and you know and and i'm paraphrasing the story here but you know if it's if it's at that level then there's no reason for us as as high school coaches that are largely listening to this but whatever level you're listening to just those simple simple drills that they don't need to be marathon sessions right coach i mean you can pop off three or four fundamental drills in 10 or 12 minutes once your kids really get the drills down but it's it's got to be there constantly. Agreed, and I, I think uh, setting time limits on your drills, moving through them, uh, is, is something that's essential. Finding different ways to do the same drill in a different way, so it seems like a new drill. I think kind of uh, you know gets them excited. Oh, it's a new drill. Well, you're doing the exact same thing. We just called it something <laughs> different. You know, I mean, yeah, you you, it's such a mind game. You know, you gotta you gotta figure that out. But there, but I, you can't overlook the fundamentals. It does, I mean, dribble, pass, and shoot. That's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Now, some of some people have players that can dribble, pass, and shoot it way better than others, and that's why they play at the high levels. Yeah. But ultimately, the game's the same. Uh-huh. And so if you cannot, you have to teach those fundamentals. And those fundamentals do not stop and they do not continue being important the higher the level you get. They even become more important because everybody you're playing with or against is just as good or better than you. Yeah, the, mar- the margin of error is much slimmer. Correct. Yeah, I think the next time you do the Argentinian drill, you do it, but you call it the, the Paraguay drill or the Brazilian drill just to mess with your kids and, and go through the whole explanation just to see if they catch on to it. Just to, you know, that's just me being a sarcastic jerk, I guess. I don't know, but, uh, you're, you're right well, with believe those. Me, we, we try all sorts of things to, uh, <laughs> to get them excited about a passing drill. So we'll, we, we'll do whatever we have to do. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned something, um, and in, uh, just a little bit ago about summer camps and, you know, you've, you're, you're kind of at, uh, You've been at both ends of it now, where uh, when you were a high school coach, you were probably encouraging some of your kids to go to uh, a college level camp, maybe for some exposure, maybe to hear something different, so forth and so on. Now you're you're creating and, and hosting the camps um, the 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 during the summertime. Uh, what have you seen to be the the biggest uh, keys to organizing a quality summer camp where the kids? Uh, have a good experience, but they get better, um, but they're having some fun. You know, what, what are some things that you've developed over your uh, years that have that you've brought to your summer camps to make them a, a quality experience? Well, I think it all starts with uh, making sure you have the right people, uh, making sure you have the right people helping you at the camp. I, I think it's vital that uh, you have so many – you need your personnel – and your players and the people that are in charge of running camps, you need that number to be on a very good ratio. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, one one person trying to handle 10 or 12 kids at a station is just not going to work for you. They don't get the individual attention they need. There's no no time to correct things that you're trying to work on. So you need to make sure that you, that you have enough staff. Uh, I think that's vital because those kids deserve that, that attention. Mm-hmm. And they need to learn how to do things correctly. That's what their parents are paying paying to come for. They want them to be a better player when they leave at the end of that week, or take two or three things with them at least that maybe they'll go work on in the in the uh, driveway. Now, some of them may just want babysitting. I don't know, but mm-hmm. uh, but but ultimately, our job is to try to give those kids one or two things just to kind of work on. So, I think staffing is huge. I think at that, it's been on what age it is, but especially with the younger ones, got to make it fun. You got to find ways to make duck, duck, goose a basketball drill. I mean, you know, you're dribbling, you're chasing each other while you're dribbling. You know, I mean, you, you got to figure out a way because the number one thing is if they're having fun, then they are more willing to listen and they are more willing to maybe pick up on something. And I think that you got to change quickly. Again, the younger they are, 15, 20 minute drill sessions you've lost them five minutes into it they're trying to figure out where their drink is where their friend is they have no they do not care to listen to you 20 minutes down the road so i think a lot of it has to be scheduled per age and it has to get more challenging obviously as they get older Mm -hmm. they want competition they want challenge i mean an elite camp uh, at the college level is it is so much fun because they want to be challenged they want to go against each other they're all in mm-hmm. they're competing like it was a you know a final four because mm-hmm. those kids are wanting to prove themselves yep but second third graders are trying to figure out what what game are we going to play next coach so yeah. i think it's a wide dynamic of uh, of what you need but i do think staffing is key and understanding the age in which you're working with. What can I do to make them have fun? Number one, they got to have fun. But what can I do to put in place that they might learn a few things that they can take with them? Mm-hmm. How have you marketed your camps? We have a website, uh, you know, Rochelle Turner Basketball Camps uh, com, and you have to have that. And that's one thing I learned at the college level. They're kind of separate <laughs> from your job. So you have to have an LLC. And then you have your own camps. We have our own camp website and those type of things. But being in the schools all those years, I know you got to market that. So we actually have flyers that we take to the local schools. You know, anybody within a 30, you know, 45-minute radius, and they'll put in their little folders and send home from school and, you know, word of mouth and those type of things. And that's the one thing. If you put on a good camp, word of mouth's going to spread that because that's one thing. Of course, covid you know, killed camps that one, sure. one summer, but our camps have increasingly got more participation over the years. And I think a lot of it is because the the feedback's been positive. So they'll tell their friends or tell, tell people, Hey, try this camp. So we've been very blessed that we have had the numbers that we've had, but it all comes down to, are you organized? Are you, do you look like, you know what you're doing? Are you, you know, are you, are you making the most of, of these parents money? Mm-hmm. Are you giving them a good experience? Yeah. And and the biggest thing I think is really important, or an, another big thing is you have them leaving camp. Let's say you do a three-day camp. Well, you want them leaving that first day excited to come back the next day. And, and if you can get that hook in them, and by the end of the week, they're like, I can't wait to come back next year. That's probably the, the most important thing you can do, don't you think? I think it's a must, yeah. and you and you know, uh, happy kids make happy parents, and uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and that's good, you know. But like we seriously, we do something every single day at the end of our camp for our little kids. We have popsicles, oh. and, and I know that that sounds crazy, and these big time college coaches are going, "Oh gosh, she has to have popsicles to get her kids to come." Well, you know. Whatever it takes. But, I mean, we will just do something like that so they know if they have a good day or they think it's because they've had a good day and they've worked really hard, you know, before we leave, we give them a Popsicle or something. I just think that you got to, you know, instant gratification world. Kids want, you know, want a little something for what they do. Got to give them something to work for. And so I just think it's all about how you set it up. And again, it's a process. What what expectation do you want at the end of the day? Well, everybody likes ice cream. 
Oh. And so they they walk away happy whether they won the drill or not. You know, yeah. they got a popsicle. Absolutely. Do not underestimate the value <laughs> of flavored frozen water on a stick. That is got that right. gold when it comes to summer camp. I can assure you of that. So I agree with you a thousand percent on that one. And it's cheap and it's simple and you can hand it to them while they're walking out the door. And yeah, oh, absolutely. Popsicles are a must. That, that would be high on my priority list as well. So uh, coach, you got time for one more thing? Absolutely. Oh, awesome. Let's, let's jump back into some actual uh, coaching stuff here. I'm always interested uh, to talk to coaches about kind of their game day. Um, what uh, what do you guys do? What's kind of your rhythm of the day in the sense of uh, what's your pregame rituals with your team, with your program? What are you guys doing at halftime in a typical game? What's your what's your postgame uh, rituals? Uh, how you how you work with the team, so forth and so on. Um, you know what do you, what do you, what do you guys got going on with that? We will uh, have game day. It, it, it obviously differs if we're on the road or if we're at mm-hmm. home. So I'll kind of go through a home game. Okay. Uh, we'll have a shoot around uh, of about an hour, and we go full out for ours. Like we get tape, our players get taped, go through whatever they fully would go through for a regular practice because we don't go extremely hard, but we go full speed. And most mm-hmm. of the time, we're reviewing scout getting some game top shots up. We have a drill we do called two line shooting. And that's basically, these are the shots we know we're going to get in this game tonight. So we will go through that prep. And so we go pretty hard for that hour. And then we always eat pregame four hours before the game. So we'll do that as a team. We have a, we actually have a local restaurant here that, that provides that for us. And, and we go and we eat pregame as a team. And then an hour in 15 minutes before game time, our players will be on the floor with our strength and conditioning coach, and they will stretch. Once an hour before game starts, then they will start their pregame routine. And and mostly uh, it, just different things that, that the players have decided that they want to do before the game starts. And there's dribbling and passing and fundamental stuff all involved in that. And then the first time they come back to the locker room, is where I'm prepared to give kind of my raw, raw, here we go speech. (laughs) And uh, a lot of times that is, it could be determined on a word of the day. It could be determined on something that the players have come up with. I mean, they're, they're all, it's all over the place really, but that's, that's my first raw, raw speech to try to just kind of get us mind going, get us excited about what we're doing. Then they'll go back out and they will continue their warm up. When they come back in the second time is when we will actually go over scout again. These are the keys to winning. These are the things we have to do. Here's their personnel again. This is our ball screen defense. This is how we're going to handle this scenario. And so that's fresh on their minds right before they go out for the last time. Uh-huh. And then they'll go out, and there's usually enough time to get some free throws up and some shots up, you know, five, five minutes or less uh-huh. uh, when they go back out that last time. And then at halftime, uh, you know, we had the use of video on the bench this year. It was something that our conference uh, kind of adopted for us to try this year. So a lot of times, uh, halftime was spent maybe showing them some specific clips or saying, hey, next time we run this, this is open, which was really nice to have for the first time. And then we're just basically making adjustments, trying to catch our breath. You know, the kids are giving feedback on what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Coaches are giving feed, feedback on what we're seeing. And then we just kind of develop our game plan and any changes that we're going to make for the second half. Do you, uh, uh, do you guys give them, you know, uh, 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 let me rephrase that, about approximately, and again, every game's different, but about how long are you talking in that halftime locker room? Oh, five, six, seven minutes at the most because mm-hmm. the first part of halftime, they, they, they get their oranges, they get their Gatorade shoes, they get their Gatorade, they get their therapy. Things are being taken care of while the coaches are meeting. Mm-hmm. So I'd say we actually talk to them maybe five – I'd say probably five minutes of actual conversation once all that's done. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you go out, you're playing Belmont. You kick the snot out of them. You win. You come back in because I'm I'm painting a good picture here. You're going to go out winning. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I do what I can. Uh, But uh, you go out. You get the win. And uh, yeah, what's your typical post game look like? Well, 
it depends, you know, you know, certain there's a long seasons, but certain games are obviously very important. So a Belmont win would probably constitute a water <laughs> gauge, uh, you know, in the locker room. I'm usually getting drowns with water and, and things like that. Or, uh, you know, how about them racers? You know, I, I'm a big Cowboys fan. I don't, don't hold that against me, but <laughs> you know, uh, so how about them cow? I kind of say, how about them racers? So we'll, we'll, we'll act a little silly at times and stuff like that. If it's a big game, but, but in all honesty, you know, they're excited. We'll clap it out. We'll point out different things that they did. Well, we'll try to build them up as much as we can, but then pretty, pretty quick. We're going to media. Mm-hmm. Two players are going to media. One player is going to radio. I'm following on the radio, then going to media. So it, there's not a whole lot of time after the game to like really reflect. So we will usually use that opportunity maybe the next day mm-hmm. uh, is to kind of reflect and go back and say, we, this, these are the things. We do a lot of film work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. But, I um, mean, if it's a big game and a big moment, I mean, we're going to celebrate it for sure. Um, is sometimes... Because I think one of one of the things I figured out, and believe me, self-inflicted wounds. Let me be very clear on that. But I would think sometimes with your media obligations, uh, it's it's almost better because it gives you less time to say something you might regret after a game. Because um, I think sometimes we, especially after a tough loss or you haven't played well, and then because we're frustrated, we compound it. And we we sometimes when we're trying to say the right thing or get the right message across, we oftentimes say the wrong thing, usually out of anger and and frustration, and that almost creates now now it's a double whammy. And one thing I've learned is after games, I really try to keep it really simple because I know I've messed up on that in the past. And when you try to say too much, sometimes you end up saying the wrong thing. So I think sometimes maybe that media obligations that you guys have at your level might be in some ways a blessing in disguise. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, if you think of things over the years that you wish you'd go back and smack yourself for, it's some <laughs> of those things that, that you said, you know, in the heat of the moment. And, uh, and you, you know, you really felt them and, and kind of meant them at the time, but it just wasn't the time or place, you know, to, to put that frustration out there. So absolutely, you know, and I, I think sometimes we as coaches forget – those players are, are upset too. Mm-hmm. You know, they and they know they didn't play defense or they know they didn't get a rebound or bless them. They know they missed the free throw that could have won the game, you know. And I think I think sometimes we take the human side out of it with emotion mm-hmm. and we all have to do a better job of that. But mm-hmm. I, I do think that shorter is better in those situations and uh you know, and that could be even on the on the uh, celebration side of it. I mean, if it's not the last game of the season, we're normally just turning around and getting ready for the next one. Mm-hmm. So I think I think you just kind of got to stay in the moment there and, and got to do what's best for everybody. But a cooling down period is not a bad thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, any social media that you want to plug? In, anything you want to plug at all for the Murray State Racers here today? No, I just appreciate the opportunity, you know, to talk about our program and get it out there. And, uh, you know, I feel like that uh, we've got a pretty good social media presence. Uh, If anybody wants to follow Murray State Women's Basketball, that'd be awesome. And uh, I'm going to tell you, I I think I told you all fair, I really personally enjoy your Twitter. Uh, I look at it on a regular basis. I'm going to try to go back and listen to some of the podcasts as I get more time in this offseason. But, uh, it's just really refreshing to be able to get other people's perspective on things and uh, to realize there's a lot out there that I don't even know. So uh, just really appreciate you doing it. Well, thank you, Rochelle. I, I that that means a lot to me. Uh, it's it's been it's been a you know this kind of this idea that kind of started in the wind um, on a walk back from a movie theater with the family uh, has has developed into something where you know. I get to have a great conversation with you here today. So I, I appreciate it as well. So um, thanks so much. It, it does mean a lot. So um, Coach Rochelle Turner, uh, the, the head women's basketball coach at Murray State University. Um, coach, if you hold the line here a second, got to wrap up a couple things. But thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. 
Appreciate you. Thank yep. you. Uh, again, we want to thank Coach for coming on. We want to thank COSAC Chiropractic for being our founding sponsor. Uh, if you're in the Omaha area, you need chiropractic services, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Download and rate and review this podcast here. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Check out the website, a pen and a napkin.com. And of course, visit our newly minted a pen and a napkin Patreon page. Any uh, help that you could give uh, to help a pen and a napkin grow uh, on a financial basis, uh, it, it is greatly appreciated. It's, it's you know three dollars a month is the lowest level, and that's seventy five cents a week. So anything that you could do to help out a pen and a napkin, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, again, can't thank uh, Coach Turner enough for coming out and coming on the podcast here today. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.